Good morning, noon, and night, and welcome to the Building Gray Sales Teams podcast. In this episode, Doug is interviewed by Caden from the Controlled Chaos with Cade podcast, and he talks all things consulting, business development, personal development, family, and anything in between. This candid conversation is one that you do not want to miss, so that's why we have it right here for you. So stick around, and let's get building. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. Yeah, yeah you definitely want some options. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, tell me a little about your uh, history. I know you talked to us back when uh, you uh-huh. came in over at Delta. Tell me, like... Uh, starting what you're doing now Uh um, and like what led to that and why'd you do that? Um, So right now what I'm doing full-time is consulting. Okay. And so I've operated a direct sales org for 13 years now and I finally decided to hang up my sales org hat and go (laughs) full-time consulting. What happened is I I started my development journey I would say about two years ago and uh, I got into a group called Apex which is a, a mastermind that's based in Dallas. And uh, Ryan Stuman runs that. And what happened is I got in the group and immediately I was like, oh, I don't belong here. <laughs> Imposter syndrome right away. Yep. So there's levels to the group. I didn't know it when I got in. I went straight in at the top level, not realizing that everybody in there was like net worth, you know, 20, 30 million, that type of stuff, right? And so I was like, well, I'm here. I already paid for it. Let's see what happens, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I went for my first, we, we call them Flying Friday. So we go in town once a month. They bring in speakers, they do training. It's all about, you know, um, expanding your business, growing your business, as well as, all right, you're an owner now and you need to focus on um, investments, you know, um, living longer, uh, that type of stuff. And, uh, and so we went in, we, I went into town for a fly-in Friday, and, and it's very, like, classroom-style speaker in the front, you know. And we have some time to network and stuff, and, you know, at the end of that one, I just didn't want to leave because it was like, oh, okay, one, I found my people, and two, this is the information I need to grow my business, you know. And so by the end of it, I had a circle of guys standing around me, and uh, they were all listening to my concepts on building sales teams. And that's when I realized, oh, shit, like... I've got all these high net worth individuals standing around me listening to me on building sales teams, you know? Yeah, makes sense. And so, you know, me and uh, Casey, who you work with, are from the same world in sales orgs, you know what I mean? But this mastermind group didn't have a sales org in it, you know what I'm saying? Hmm. So, like, I was able to bring all the great information from sales orgs and building sales teams to this group, and that made me an authority in that space, you know? And then I yeah. started the podcast. And then uh, some people asked me to come out to their companies and restructure their sales programs. And so once that started happening consistently and I really fell into it and I enjoyed it and I was passionate about it and I was spending 30 hours a week on that and 10 hours a week on my actual sales work, (laughs) then I realized it was time to make the transition. So I know I've heard this a lot and I'm sure you've heard a lot, but before you can be, you know, the millionaire, the billionaire, you got to be that person first. Do you feel like that was something that you were before you went there or do you feel like that's something you've built over time? It's definitely been built over time. 
you know, the the mistakes I made in my first decade of being an entrepreneur were all financial. Yeah. You know, I knew how to make money. I knew how to recruit people. I knew how to scale my business. I knew I, I knew things that entrepreneurs that are doing tens of millions of dollars don't understand, which is systems and processes. Mm-hmm. You know, fundamentals. Yeah, and because they're just in a high volume business, high uh, dollar volume business, right? You know, solar being one of them. Yep. And um, so, like, I had this natural ability in entrepreneurship, but the still to this day the hardest thing for me to learn is the financial piece yeah you know and if you and for the longest time i had a good financial manager that kind of kept me in line you know what i'm saying and and that's what you need you know if you're a visionary in the business so there's a concept of visionary and integrator the visionaries the big ideas the uh driving the business forward like innovation and pushing all the key players you know towards this Kind of like the bumpers. Yeah, and and that's the visionary's job. The integrator's the one actually like executing with the key players and coaching the team. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, you know, I've always leaned visionary, but I can't integrate. You know, but the financial piece was, you know, if I went back to college and took a course, it would be accounting, a hundred percent. Yeah. To really understand, okay, how do I know when I'm going to run out of money? And what can I do before that happens? You know what I'm saying? That's, yep. 100% <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Um, kind of stemming off of that question, um, one of my favorite two questions that I ask when I meet people that own businesses mm-hmm. or, um, like, I don't I do not do consulting at all like you. I'll mm-hmm. just have, like, friends or others that say, right. okay, you started a business. Let me get some advice on X, right. Y, or Z. Um, my favorite two questions to ask are, one, can your company grow Mm-hmm. Or, or sorry, let's back up. First question is, um, can your company run without you there? So if you go take a, um, a week-long vacation, you take a weekend off, can your company function without you there? And I feel like most people will say yes. Mm-hmm. And I'll always ask a follow-up question. And I don't remember where I found these two questions from, but mm-hmm. the second one is, can your company grow without you there? And um, i just like to hear your thoughts on that. I feel like those two are uh, very important, important questions to ask, and most companies will function mm-hmm. without the CEO or those executives right. there. But... I feel like oftentimes they they most likely won't grow if you don't have the right sales orgs or SOPs. Yeah, so I I achieved that early on. So after three years, so I I owner financed my my business from the previous owner. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't worth anything, but I owner financed it for 200 (laughs) grand. I was 22, 23 years old and didn't really understand what I was buying. But anyways, three years later, I had 13 offices and 110 salespeople. And so... At that point, I literally didn't have to lift a finger. You know what I'm saying? I had uh, VPs of sales in place. I had two to three regionals. And then I had uh, 13 market managers for those 13 offices. And so it was very structured. And I had a, so I overpaid on staff. So I had, you know, I think at that point, my payroll was 40 to 50,000 a month. And the business was running itself. I had a 15% net at that point which, you know, we were doing $5 million a year, so it was okay. Yeah. For, for a job you didn't have to show up at, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, Making half bad. a million dollars, pretty yep. good. So um, I, I achieved that early on, and then, you know, I watched the business because there wasn't really a culture and core values integrated into it. Mm-hmm. I watched it kind of get ripped apart over the next couple of years. Then I became a better business owner. I started instituting mission, a mission statement and core values, and started going deep instead of wide 
I feel like the next best example was 2019, where we did three million. You know, I only had three management on the sales side, and I had maybe four staff, and uh, we did roughly 2.83 million dollars, and we had a 28 percent profit margin. So I was a better business owner with a, a lot less people, and I and we made a lot more impact in our company that year. So do you feel like it's more of a, a quality over quantity at that point? I feel like you become the architect. You know, I. I bulldozed my way into the business early on, and uh, I delegated quickly and expanded quickly. But after a while, that that just wasn't for me anymore because I wasn't creating any real connection with my yeah. people. You yeah. can only bootstrap and drag knuckles for so long. Yeah. At some point, you have to create a culture where you can help others mm-hmm. feel valued there or build value with them, right? Yeah. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. There's Walmarts and Targets for a reason. Yep. They have beautiful expansion plans and are ran by people way smarter than I am, right? But eventually you get to a point in life where you want to create a certain quality and uh, not that those don't have it. I'm sure within the company they have amazing lives, but um, it, it didn't work for me at that point. So I wanted to kind of contract a little bit, right? And then I've, you know, now to present day to where, to answer your question today, I, if, if I leave for a week, my business doesn't run. It, and it doesn't grow. You know, it runs in the sense of the clients are taken care of and they'd be happy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I guess so question one, yes, it does run. But question two, uh, it doesn't grow, right? And so knowing what I know now about developing systems, processes, and people, um, we've already hired another consultant last week. You know, he's been getting onboarded the last couple of weeks, and I'll start incorporating him into the marketing and the social media and uh he could execute just like i can he's developed sales programs too and um so we'll be able to basically double our production because we have him on board now that's awesome and he also understands the long-term plan which is to bring him on full time and to have him eventually manage all of our consultants you know which if i if i do this right will be a caden or casey (laughs) you know i'm saying where i say hey I've got this company that I think would be great for you to consult for, and then you'll take uh, a 55% consulting fee and go out there and make five grand real quick. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> in a That's couple cool. of days, you know? So if someone was looking into getting into the consulting atmosphere, what mm-hmm. do you feel like would be good first steps? And like, why do you feel like that's something you've stuck with for the last um, number of years? If you're going to get into consulting or coaching or any whatever you want to call it these days, have experience. You know, I, I don't believe in the 20, 21-year-old coaches. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I'm sorry. It's just in, – in you know, everybody's got something to teach somebody else, but should you monetize it? No. You know, I, I did free consulting for 18 months before I ever charged somebody. You know what I'm saying? Because I believed in making that impact in other businesses. And so I think you need experience first, so go get the experience. Go work for somebody else, Okay. You know, this whole idea that everybody has to be an entrepreneur when they're 21 is ridiculous. You know, yeah. doesn't mean you can't have a side hustle. Doesn't mean you can't have some vending machines or some real estate, you know what I'm saying, or something that's passive, you know, uh, semi-passive, right? But I, I do think you need a body of work, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, something and, to kind of vouch for yourself. Yeah, and, and the thing is, the, the, cons- the consulting I would do at 27 years old after that five million in a year and the consulting I would do at 37 now and, and 
probably I think we ended at 1.5 million last year, and I'm projected with just the consulting around 750 this year, which is nothing to the people that I'm consulting for, right? Yep. But I'm way more valuable now, you know yeah. what I'm saying, than I was when I was doing the higher numbers. But I have that body of work over 13 years of building sales orgs and running a business, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And now we're getting into different things that we can kind of cross into, which is podcasting. We've, you know, we're going to be at 150 episodes soon. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, managing VAs, we have three VAs in the company. You know, we've been operating with VAs for over a year now. The beautiful thing about them is they're able to develop SOPs, you know? And so we have these things that we can kind of venture into and consult on as well. That's awesome. Kind of, kind of minor in instead of major in like building <laughs> sales teams. Yep. Yeah. You'll get there eventually though. Yeah, absolutely. Experience, right? Absolutely. Um, I'm sure you get this question a lot, but in your scope of working with the amount of people you've worked with so far, whether it's the sales orgs, the salesmen themselves, um, or even the big guys that you might consult for, mm-hmm. what's a fairly common theme that you feel like if they just tweak this one thing just a little bit, it would produce X amount better? They just turned on a video camera. They turned on Loom. If they just started a memo on their phone and told someone else what they were doing when they were doing it, that's what we call an SOP, right? And then you send it to a VA or you send it to your admin, and they create a step-by-step. And when you do that, you've now just, you've now systemized whatever that thing is that you were doing. And they're... Don't get me wrong. There's certain things that take 13 years of experience, but 95% of things can be delegated, automated, or eliminated. Yeah. Right. And so, that's that. That I would say is the number one thing. That is literally what I do for consulting. I come into your, <laughs> I come into your program, right? And I say, okay, how do you make a sale? And then I audit that process. I improve it a little bit, but for the most part, I'm just documenting it. You know what I'm saying? And then I'm converting it into a cop plan. And then I'm giving you ideas on an opportunity structure. And then we're putting together a recruiting plan. And then we're putting together a metrics report so that we can we can audit all these things. But at the end of the day, I'm doing what you should have done when you first started. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep. And so 100%. all you got to do is record it. Makes sense. Cool. Um, so this might be a funny question for you, but in this day and age of – um, Google, YouTube, books, podcasts. Mm-hmm. What are things um, that you can be doing? And by you, I'm meaning entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. sales reps. Um, what are things they could be doing to maybe help set themselves aside from all of that? Uh-huh. Um, and like you really present a decent piece of value. Um, I would say find your tribe. So whatever city you're in, there's thousands thousands of people just like you that are looking for someone that thinks the way they do, which entrepreneurs in general think a little bit differently, you know? And so I would put it out there on social media, on your podcast, on whatever you're doing say, Hey, I want to meet people that are entrepreneurs that are artists, whatever the case is, get people together and create your own personal filter which is going to include core values, you know? And I can tell you right now, if part of you getting together with people is drinking and going out and partying, then this is not going to be productive. (laughs) So it needs to be people that are looking for growth and development. Find them in your city. Bring them together once a month, once a week, whatever you can afford to do. 
you know what I'm saying? And you're not paying for it. You can get together in an office building or um, get together at someone's house, right? And niche, niche, niche it down a little bit. You know what I mean? If it's podcasting, mm-hmm. you know, let it be podcasting. If it's music, let it be music. If it's, you know, general business, it can be general business, you know? But find your tribe and give value like this. You know, you're going to have to do all the other stuff too. Don't get me yeah. wrong. That's the game, right? But how much more value can you give if you just record a conversation like this, like you are on your podcast, and then you can share that instead of you talking directly into a phone? You know what I'm yeah. saying? That's the beautiful thing about podcasting. It, it creates authentic creativity of conversation versus, you know, this scripted thing I'm trying to get across <laughs> to the camera. Yep. It happens organically. You know? Yeah. I love the organic side of the podcast. I mean, that's originally why I did it. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Joe Rogan, as everybody else is, but I love just how scripted it is and how raw it is. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I devoted to my podcast was just to make sure that it was all one take. We'll have a little cut here because we had some ambulances, but um, to make it all one take because you get the the lulls in the conversation, you get to see them visually thinking through a process. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think it comes out so much more natural. And people resonate with that. When I listen to a lot of podcasts or a lot of YouTubes and they're just like cut back and forth, I understand it's to keep people engaged. Yeah. Um, but it's super frustrating sometimes because I just want to see the, the real side of things, you know? Yeah, it's, it's okay, if I want to get views and I want to sell a $100 product, I'm going to go wide. You know what I mean? And wide means exactly what you're talking about. I'm going to stay on trends. I'm going to... Uh, execute on whatever gets me comments and likes i'm probably going to hire a company to to make some bots give me some likes and comments there too (laughs) you know what i'm saying because that is the game i mean everybody that you that you know and adore that's famous is doing it go through their comments and look at the people that are commenting on their their posts and you will find typically they have three or four posts you know i'm saying they're not real (laughs) they're bots (laughs) you know what i mean so i can go wide if I have a hundred dollar product to sell, but if I want to create real value and real engagement and organic in engagement, I'm going to go deep. You know what I mean? And so like, if you look on my Instagram, I think we, we checked it this morning. It was 1736 followers. Yep. Um, and you know, I have friends in this city that have 10,000 followers, you know what I mean? And, um, I just want to make sure that I, everybody that's following me either one, has been impacted by me or two wants my product. You know what I'm saying? Yep. One of those two things, you know, or that has impacted me, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and I want my feed to be full of uh, like original engagement. You know, anybody can go on and like I said, create something viral, you know what I mean? But it's not going to create that, that impact that most of us crave. I mean, yep. let's be honest, like humans need real impact and, um, this type of engagement the closer you can get to person to person the, the better it's going to be in my opinion and that's why i said earlier to, to find your tribe yeah i like that a lot yeah um kind of kind of makes me think of uh, david goggins you heard of him mm-hmm. yeah i mean what a unit yeah <laughs> but um i think of his book because i mean i read it every single year when mm-hmm. i did summer sales every single year i would read it yeah um and there's a million different youtubes and a million different people that i could go and listen to over mm-hmm. and over again but I kept going back to David Goggins because it was so real mm-hmm. and he was willing to be so open with me. Um, and I, I bring this up sometimes on my podcast where I just say like, look, um, 
the content might not be for everybody, but it right. just touched one person, like then that's good enough for me. Hell I'm yeah. sure you feel pretty closely the same. Hell yeah. And it, and again, it's going back to that deep versus wide concept. You know, if I never get another follower, but I impact 1,736 people, fuck yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that's yeah, pretty that's a good checkbox awesome. right there, man. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. awesome. Um, well, let's run off of that. What's your favorite story that you can think of where you've been able to impact somebody? Um, I'll, I'll just come up with a recent one. You know, because if I really, like, put pen to paper, I could probably come up with some better ones. But a recent one is I got I got a call from literally the first rep I ever hired, the first sales rep I ever hired. And uh, how, how long ago was that? That was 13 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Quite a yeah. ways ago. Yeah, that was a long time ago. And he, he calls me, and he's always been, like, uh, and, he, and he may listen to this, but he knows it's true. He's always been, like, a kind of a wishy-washy dude, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm incredibly excited for him right now because I believe that because of what he's doing right now, for the first time in his life, he's going to follow through. And um, more than two or three years, okay, bud? Um, (laughs) And what he's going to follow through with is being an example for his family, for his company, and then just for his community. And what he's doing right now is he started 75 Hard, and he has given up drinking, at least for now. You know what I'm saying? And that's part of 75 Hard, yeah. right? Um, but I, you know, when he called me, he's only two weeks in. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? But he's just, like, on fire. That's know? awesome. Because think about it. Your whole life, you've been taught drinking is fun. Drinking is connecting with your friends. Drinking is life. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And now for the first time in his life, he's experiencing his son and his newborn son his two sons with clarity you know what i mean and so as we're having these conversations and he was like yeah just like you said in your podcast or just like you said whenever we last talked or just like you said you know what i'm saying and then he's he's referencing people that i introduced him to oh just like so and so said and just like this person said i'm doing this i'm doing that you know what i'm saying and so it was just cool to be like on that journey with him you know because i know I know what it's like for me when I found Apex and I found my tribe mm-hmm. and they started infiltrating my values and convicting me on certain things I was doing in my life. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, I would say, and, and we'll see. I mean, the kid's got so much talent, it's not even funny. You know what I'm saying? And he's also in, in solar. <laughs> and uh, so if he follows through with this and doesn't just do it for 75 days... Bud, I'm not going to say his name. <laughs> um, yeah, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. That's awesome. Um, let's say worst case scenario, he calls you up today and said, hey, I screwed up on my 75 hard today. Now mm-hmm. what? I'm going to start again tomorrow, man. It's not a big deal. I failed 75 hard six times before I completed it. And the only reason I completed it on the seventh time was because my wife did it with me. So adjust, you know what I'm saying? study it a little bit figure out where you went wrong a lot of times it's just guardrails you know we we don't put the right guardrails in place to succeed and we're surprised when we fail Mm -hmm. you know like we keep hanging around those people that like to drink every night and we're wondering why we can't stop drinking (laughs) you know what i'm saying (laughs) it's the weirdest thing yeah it's crazy thing so 
so many things for me changed in my life after doing 75 hard. And it was because I had to go to bed at 9.30 so I can get up at 4.30 and get that first workout in. Because if I didn't get that first workout in before I went into the office, then that was one of the reasons that I failed. And because I was going to bed at 9.30, guess what I wasn't doing after 9.30? Anything. (laughs) All the bad stuff happens after 9.30. I will maintain that. And it's the same reason that night owls are not as productive as early birds. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry. You're not going to convince me otherwise. Like, all my friends that are incredibly productive and have their shit together and are way more successful than me, they get up early. You know what I'm saying? And I get it. Some people are wired, like Ryan over here, to do stuff (laughs) at night. You know what I'm saying? But uh, that's one thing I'm going to maintain because all the bad stuff happens at night. (laughs) I think we can all tell a couple stories of those, huh? Exactly. Um in the culture of um, waking up early, what are things that you felt have been a benefit to you? And like, why do you continue doing that? So I will say this, Ryan doesn't drink, so he may be the exception. <laughs> okay, Ryan's the exception <laughs> for it, okay. <laughs> uh, what other things have been a benefit? Yeah, like with waking up, like why keep oh, doing it? Shit. Do you feel like it's a, it's a first win of the day if you have your alarm clock set at five and you don't, you don't hit snooze, you just get up and get the day going? Is that like your first win? Why do you I, like doing it? I'm up before my kids. So I'm setting an example for them when I do that. In the last couple of weeks, I've struggled with that. And I've I'm, I'm been back on it the last couple of business days. And um, because I, I did, I met with a, another tribe mm-hmm. that I just joined, which is uh, Jeff Smith's Inner Circle. If you get a chance, to check it out. It's a very small group of like-minded men, a lot of prior military. And uh, anyways... I was presenting to them on building an intentional legacy, the same thing I talked to you guys yep. about. And uh, I, was, I convicted myself. I was like, <laughs> why am I not getting up early anymore? Anyways, so one of the things that happens when I don't get up early is my daughter has to be on the bus by 6.30. So she wakes up at 5.30 in order to make that happen. And about 6 o'clock, she comes in the room to uh, have her mom do her hair. Because her mom won't teach her how to do her hair because it's still one of the same things she enjoys doing with her daughter. <laughs> and so anyways, I started feeling guilty because every time she came in the room at 6 o'clock, I was still in bed. My daughter's up, ready to conquer the day, and I'm in bed. You know what I mean? So I would say that's one of the other things is it sets the example for my kid. Um, we can get into the medical stuff, starts your metabolism earlier. You know what I'm saying? And so you're having a light meal in the morning, a light lunch, and then maybe a heavy dinner. Versus a, a heavy lunch and a heavy dinner. And I'm talking like I would eat like 4,500 calories if I didn't have breakfast in the morning. But that kind of jump starts my metabolism. I don't have to have this huge meal, you know what I mean? So it breaks it up a little bit. Um, spiritually, the, the world's quieter. So you can wake up, read your Bible, have a conversation with God all before your kids wake up and things start getting crazy, you know? Yeah. And then the gyms are empty. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're way more empty. I There's a couple occasions that I'll go to the gym at night, and like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll walk in, it's and my insane. face looks just like this. Like, Pissed off. What? Like, why <laughs> did I come right now? Like, yeah. And I know every time I might miss a gym, in the, you know, my gym session in the morning, mm-hmm. and then I show up at, at 7.30, 8 o'clock, and I'm like, mm-hmm. why? <laughs> like, yeah. It's ridiculous. But I think that just goes to show you um, the lack of – um, conviction in that way that yeah. people it's just so easy to do different things like show up just you miss in the morning yeah. just, just go later it's fine yeah it, 
Exactly. You know, like, and, and that's the other deal too, is like, if, if part of my, if part of my, uh, conviction with myself is to work out every day or to move my body five times a week then if i don't do it in the morning when am i going to do it after work right or in the middle of work so i'm taking away from my employees and then after work so i'm taking away from my family you know what i'm saying and then oh at nine o'clock at night then i'm taking away from myself and my sleep you know what i'm saying so by getting up early the only the only person i can i can't take it take it away from anybody you know what yep. i'm saying i mean you could argue taking your sleep away on the other side, but at least it's not at night when your wife's in bed. You know yep, what I'm saying? Makes sense. Makes sense. I'd rather be in bed with my wife at night. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, so you came and talked to us about um, building your legacy, and mm-hmm. that was really powerful to me. I mean, I've thought about it a lot. Um, I'm 26, so for whatever reason, I haven't put in my head, like, that's something that I should really think of, retirement, like what I'm leaving to my kids, what they're mm-hmm. gonna, you know, know is is um, what their dad was. Yeah. Um, but that was really powerful. I would love for you to touch on on that and um, yeah. yeah, just briefly explain that for us. Yeah. So I wanted to, you know, I'm a tactical guy. I love numbers. I love figures and stats and reports. I love being able to prove things through data, right? And so I wanted to approach legacy from a tactical standpoint. And to me, I created a, a, a structure which was, you know, you've got values as a foundation because those are eternal. And then after that, you've got your purpose and your passions, right? Which there's a very specific word that I said there, it's yours. So a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to hand my business off to my kids or, you know what I mean? That's going to be my legacy is my business, you know what I mean? But they're, you're incredibly unique. You're a snowflake in a good way. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And you're built to run your business the way that you run it. And then when you hand it to somebody else, you, your fingerprint is on it. You know what I mean? Especially when you hand it to family. Because this isn't an experienced business owner buying it often. You know? Yeah. And so if you think you're going to hand over, it's going to become a family business and it's going to pass from generation to generation, I guarantee it won't last too. You know, and, and not, that, not that it won't last. Maybe it'll be sold. You know what I mean? Or maybe they'll have to pay taxes with it or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. But... It is very unlikely compared to your values that your purpose and your passions will carry on, right? So nonprofit, you know what I mean? Like, I like to play rugby. I like to barbecue. That stuff may not be passed on to my kids. They may enjoy it because dad did it, but they have their own thing. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And so I can't, that's something that I, I can intentionally to a degree put in place, but if it's not for them, it's not their purpose, it's not their passion, they're not going to carry it on, right? And then there's what a lot of people talk about as their legacy, which is the assets, which is the most vulnerable of all three of those because the government can take those, right? And so we're talking land, we're talking money, you know what I mean? And I, I don't care how good of a lawyer you got, the, at the end of the day, you have no idea if your land or your money or your bank account is going to be around in 10 years, you know what I mean, with digital currencies now and political unrest you never know right but that that doesn't mean you shouldn't be intentional about your legacy and the intentional part begins with the values right and so if those values are woven into your purpose and your passions and you get an asset uh, as a result of those values being woven into your purpose and your passions to me the assets the purpose and passions and the values themselves are going to be sustainable 
But if you don't teach your kids those values, they're not going to be able to sustain those purpose and passions or assets that, like you want them to, like yeah. you want them to continue. It's almost like the uh, the trust fund babies. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Their parents spent so long building wealth and building businesses and building this empire, and they didn't teach their kids the values that actually built it. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And so, um, you know, there's a lot more to the talk about how you can incorporate those into your into your business and into your family life. But at, at the end of the day, you need to be intentionally teaching your kids your values. And I, and I always say have no more than five because you can't be that intentional about much more than five of them <laughs> at one time. Yep, right. Makes sense. If there was one core value that was the biggest one to you of all. I know this one already, but yeah. I want the listeners to he's, know. He's laying me up. Yep. I, I know this one, yeah. um, but it's also mine as well. But okay. what's the biggest one for you that you want your kids above all to know? Uh, it's going to be integrity for me. Uh, and that's because I lived, I lived my wife, my wife, my life a certain way until I was about 30 years old. And it ended with, uh, separation, divorce, and uh, me not being a man of my word. And so once I lost all that, I still had my business. I still had the things that made me successful in most people's eyes, right? I still had the money, but I didn't have my family anymore. So as I was exiting that situation, I told myself, hey, moving forward, you're going to be a man of integrity. Moving forward, you're going to operate with integrity. Moving forward, you're going to be honest with everybody about what you did the last couple of years to get you to this point so that they have nothing to hold against you. Because that was a concern for me at the time because I was the owner of a business and I was starting to put myself out there on social media. And so if you look, if you follow me now, you'll see a mix of learning from those mistakes, my family, business, uh, mindset, philosophies, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. You'll see everything. But what you won't see is bullshit. What you won't yep. see is someone that's trying to front and be someone they're not. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And since I have made that conviction with myself that I was going to be a man of integrity, I mean, it took, a, it took three years, but me and my wife remarried six months ago. I got my family back. You know, I'm probably going through one of the worst financial times in the last five years that I've been in, but I just had probably the best weekend ever with my son celebrating <laughs> his birthday. That's awesome. And, and I was present and I wasn't, my head wasn't in back in my business, but I'm also surrounded by amazing people. You know what I'm saying? That understand that, Yeah. you know? And, um, that was probably the biggest mindset shift for me was to be able to have your business be on fire in the one hand but still be there for your family and the other. Me and my wife still had our date night. My son had a great birthday. Um, still read my Bible. You know what I'm saying? Still worked out. And so when you can maintain yourself and your convictions and your core values and your integrity, when shit's not right, now you're now you're developing. I love it. Yeah. Um, I think last question, then I think we're about, about it on time. Um, I ask this every once in a while to... Um, some different CEOs I've met. Mm -hmm. um, they've got half a billion dollar companies. They've got $10 million companies, whatever it is. Yeah. And I, was, I always ask them the same thing, and I can never get an answer for it. And I think there's a couple number of reasons why, but 
always ask like when when's it enough um and the reason i ask it is because um i'm very observant i don't talk a lot i don't ask a lot of questions i think you saw it when when you came by um but i just like to listen and to watch i feel Mm -hmm. like i can get more out of it than anything um but the reason i ask that is because i can see these guys um you know i've i've seen them in their business but i've also seen them at home Mm -hmm. um and the business is booming it's thriving it's you know going crazy they're in newspapers they're in magazines they're you know getting hosted on podcasts Mm -hmm. um they're getting interviewed all over the place um but when i stop and look at that and then i draw a line between that and then family Mm -hmm. um i feel like fam their families have always suffered like every single time and so i always ask them like when's when is it enough you know when is it okay to step back a little and like um understand that you've built a really really successful company mm-hmm. um but like when is it enough to where now you can be a family man so you're probably not getting a direct answer because it's a complicated question if they mm-hmm. haven't really intentionally built that life that puts their family first then they they can never go back you know Those, what I'm that's my exact thought. They've, they've got to like literally burn it down a little bit in order to build it back up the way that they should have in the first place, right? Yep. And I'm I'm an example of that, right? I am architecting the way my business is being built now because it's essentially a new business is is around the life that I want. You know what I'm saying? And to a certain degree, within reason, the life that my people want. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I have that in mind every time I make a decision. Instead of having the most money in mind, the most success in mind or any of that stuff so that's the i would say that's the hardest thing with it is to start with the end in mind because most seven habits most uh most ceos don't do that they take over a position or they start a company and they're like i just want to be rich i want to be successful you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. instead of saying hey i want to be rich successful and present for my family so if you start that way and say, hey, I'm gonna work nine to four, and I'm not even gonna be reachable by my family in that time while I'm building this business. But after four, those notifications shut off and I go home and I'm present with my family. And then after they're all in bed, I'm back at it again at you know, 8.30 at night, nine o'clock at night, and my kids go to bed at 8.30. <laughs> Apparently that's like, I'm, I'm like freaking Nazi over here putting my kids to bed at 8 30 mine goes down to like 8 15 <laughs> yeah it's like they need nine to ten hours of sleep they're not like us anyways <laughs> i don't want to get into all that <laughs> some but, parent counseling here but like doing what you have to when you can you know what i'm saying you may lose sleep for the first five years while you're building your business but if you can't do that and be the present for your family then don't start a family start your business be the all-in entrepreneur that you have to be until you build it up and you automate, delegate, and eliminate. You know what I'm saying? Um, but no, the best the best CEOs should be getting paid for their decision-making. You know what I'm saying? And that, that doesn't happen. No. They're, they're, they're getting paid because they're at a desk a certain number of hours a day. And that's just an old-school way of thinking. I don't think you're ever going to develop company of happy people with those thoughts you know i think people are getting smarter covid created a lot of people that can make six figures working from home you know 
And so you're going to have to adapt to the marketplace, you know. And uh, as far as when is enough enough, if you were to ask me that question generally, I would say never, but not for the reasons that most people think, because I feel like there's always somebody that's going to need help. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's always somebody that's going to come to me and ask me, how'd you do this or how'd you do that? And so I feel like I always need to spread the message as long as I can. Yeah, I love that. And in that aspect of when is enough enough, I love that answer. Mm-hmm. But typically I get the big roundabout from everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I think it stems from they don't know when enough is enough. They don't know when to, that it's like time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of the time they say, oh, well, once it gets to a certain point, then I can take the breaks off and then I can, you know, go hang out with my family. Okay, well, when is then? Yeah. And I feel like nobody can ever answer that. Well, even if they have a then and then happens, they don't know their family. Yeah. So they don't know what to do with themselves and they're miserable. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so you've got to find your happiness in your your family, your business, and your passions. But the problem is, is too many entrepreneurs go all in on their business and that's where they find their happiness. And, and I was one of them. If I did not have 50 grand in my bank account and, you know, 40 plus sales happening in a night, I was not happy. I was not fun to be around. You know what I'm saying? Now, the exchange was, oh, I'm paying for dinner. I'm paying for this. I'm, you know, you can stay at home because I'm doing all this. So you don't need to have the happy, you know, present father or husband. You know what I'm saying? But here's what they don't teach you. And that you guys your generation has access to now and that's the information that's on social media telling you that you can architect your life that you can be present for your family be an amazing father and uh, an amazing husband and an amazing business owner there's way too much leverage out there there's VAs there's technology there's talented people like Ryan and Caden you know what I mean and and they can have the same things you can build companies based around that and it's Very not true. balance, it's alignment, right? Yep. We know when it's time to go to work, we're going to go to work. You know what I'm saying? And we know when it's time to celebrate a little bit and relax, we're going to relax. You know what I mean? But this whole on 24-7 is ridiculous. It's not It's not going to sustain. Nope. Yeah, sustain the game, man. Mm-hmm. It's the name of the game, right? Yeah. Cool. Well, appreciate you being on and having me out. It's been fun. Um, hopefully we can do a couple more of these in the, in the future and as we grow. Hey, I appreciate you having the balls to show up and do this, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. To start a podcast and to say, hey, I got something to say and actually do it. You know, like that doesn't happen enough and it needs to happen more. So yeah. appreciate you too, brother. Thanks for yeah. having me on. Anytime, man. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Building Great Sales Teams podcast. We really do appreciate it. As you know, we believe that great leaders build great teams. How do you become a great leader? You learn from the greats. Join us at the Million Dollar Mastermind put on by Ryan Stuman in Frisco, Texas, and learn everything that you need to learn to be that great leader. The link will be in the description below. As always, we ask that you like, share, and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts so you can stay up to date with the Building Great Sales Teams podcast. Let's get building.